Hello, listeners. This is PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon, and this is PSG Small Cup Talk for Sunday, July 8th, 2018. We have a lot to get to on today's show, including PSG signing of Gianluigi Buffon over the weekend, uh, the autopsy of the Mexican national team. We will also review the quarterfinal games of the World Cup and preview the semifinal games. And with me to do all of this is PSG Talk contributor Eduardo Razo. You can follow PSG Talk on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcasts, PSG Talking and PSG Small Talk, and all audio that we do in the one feed on iTunes. I believe we are also on Spotify and any third-party apps that you may use. Visit our website, www.psgtalk.com, and make sure to subscribe to our Patreon. Now, we don't plug this all that often, but I wanted to take the time today to just tell you that $1, if you listen to anything we do or read anything that we do, $1, the price of a candy bar, once a month, will show your support for the show. And as we sort of grow and expand, we would like to include you along for the ride. There are different tiers that our um, editor Ed has set up, depending on what you would like. We would like to obviously add more. T-shirts are always still in production. Ideas for shows will answer your questions on the air. And we'll possibly even let you write an article or write in, or let us write an article about something that you would like to hear. So make sure, even if you don't plan on contributing, just check it out. See if there's anything you're interested in. And it would be really nice if you showed support for what we do. We are the number one uh, website podcast network for all things Paris Saint-Germain in English. And on the other side of the music, we will get to your content for today. Eddie, how are we doing on this fine Sunday afternoon? Oh, uh, hot. If, if anyone that's not from L.A. or doesn't have Twitter, you know, we are having a heat wave here, so it is really, 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 really hot. So I'm going to try the best to... Uh, not trying to sweat out this podcast. Yeah, hopefully we can be a nice little distraction for you. And speaking of heat, um, PSG have made their very first um, transfer of the 2018 summer window, and he is none other than the famed Italian goalkeeper, Gianluigi Buffon. They did a video for him on Friday. He will be presented to the media tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m., over on the West Coast. I'm sure you'll be wide awake for that. Um, initial thoughts on PSG's first signing of this window. Well, we all know the, the financial fair play stuff going on. First it's off, then it's on, and we did a podcast on the surface last one. With, uh, it was the last on, one. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, it's on a free, so it's, it's, it doesn't hurt. It, you know, it's not going to involve all that stuff, but I mean, he's still one of the better goalkeepers. I mean, he's not what he once was, um, but I like, do like the sign. It's just a one-year, maybe two, um, and he has an option for a second year, but 
you know, he's, he's, he's still one of the better goalkeepers, and he brings a lot of experience in, you know, whether it be international or Champions League. Uh, he's also, uh, it also signals, you know, if we can finally move on from Kevin Trapp. I mean, I, I'd rather, whether he's a starter or not, that still remains to be seen. Um, but I'd rather much have uh, Buffon as a safety blanket than a Kevin Trapp if, you know, Ariola's form falls out or, or he, you know, isn't consistent. So it's a nice, you know, uh, uh, safety net uh, moving forward. There's a lot of moving parts to this, and I think that, I just want to say, first of all, that I've been, I don't think there's been a time where I've been a fan of this sport where Jean-Luigi Buffon has not been sort of a major part of it. I, and I'll say that I'm biased. I'm a fan of the guy. I've always been a fan of the guy. I just feel like he's a, he's a representation of some of the great things that this game is about. And it's kind of, it's kind of cool to have him on PSG. Like, you never think that's going to happen. Like, the guy was at Juventus forever, he was at Parma before that, he's never left Italy, and it's like, it's just one of those weird sort of shots in the dark of, oh, we um, my favorite team has one of my favorite players on it, that's pretty cool. And I'm not going to apologize for, for having that sort of bias and slant about it. I understand the drawbacks, and I understand people are afraid that Alphonse Ariola is going to go away and that... PSG are going to be left with a 40-year-old goalkeeper in Kevin Trapp. I get that. And yes, that is a concern. I tend to think that Ariola, when he looks at this, if you are any kind of competitor, you'll say to yourself, I can win the job over this guy, and if I can't win the job over this guy in a year, I'll go. I just, I don't see him, unless PSG really need to sell people, and I don't think we're at that point right now. I think he stays, and I think the trap either goes out on loan or gets sold. I, I, I honestly think they could get him out on loan pretty easily if they wanted to. But that that's sort of the that's sort of the financial and the kind of on the field aspect of this. I just find him to be a warrior, and a, and I think he has a mentality that this club desperately needs to get a little bit of. And you see with Buffon, Buffon is not going to quit. He's not going to sink into himself and wallow in his own self-pity, which is what happened to PSG against Real Madrid. Once PSG kind of in their minds thought that they were whooped, they just, the effort wasn't there. The, 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 the confidence, the, even the outward appearance of confidence wasn't there. The emotion wasn't there. The passion wasn't there. And you watch that second half of that second leg and they just look like a dead team. Once they couldn't get that goal in the first half, they just looked deflated. They looked done. And they need more guys in that locker room that aren't just going to roll over and die at the first sign of adversity. And Buffon is one of those guys. He's going to, you know, whether you like it or not, he's going to rally the troops. He's going to be a vocal leader. He's going to lead by example. He could be a great tool for Alphonse Ariola to learn how to be that leader in the back. I think he's, and I think Aliola is incredibly talented. I just don't think he has that part of him yet. And I don't think him going to Napoli is going to get that. I don't think he naturally has it in him. I think that you need a guy around him that can sort of build him up into that. And if all goes according to plan, that's what should happen. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I, I, we saw Ariola's uh, that that those two legs over Real Madrid, he was arguably 
the best player, one of the best players. So we know he has the talent. It's just about getting that, being around Buffon, where he can become that vocal leader where he can, uh, where he's maybe not afraid to tell Thiago Silva what to do or where to be at. So this is this is really a, this this is one of the aspects of having Buffon. He'll he'll definitely. I think he should see this as a as a as a as a way to learn from one of the best to ever do it, you know, to play at his position. And it's just for one year, like you said. Um, so this is it should be seen as a one win for him. And if you look at this team and you look at the youth that it's about to sort of, this team is turning over a bit. You saw them get rid of a lot of their late 20s, early 30s players, and they're going to start getting rid of more of them. And you're going to have a team that's going to have Yassine Adli, Alphonse Ariola, Presnel Kimpembe, Marquinhos, uh, Christopher Nkunku, Timothy Weah, Kylian Mbappe. It's going to be a very young team. And for a year or two to have those guys learn under, you know, there's an old saying, of, you know, come sit under the learning tree. Jean-Louis Buffon is one of the biggest, most shadiest learning trees you will ever see in your life. Like, that's a guy that if I'm in that locker room, I'm going, I want to talk to that guy. Because that guy had to face a penalty against Zinedine Zidane in the World Cup. That guy's been to European Championships. That guy's been to Champions League Finals. That guy's done everything you can do in the business. And if you are a young player in that squad, you have to look at that guy and go, that's a, that guy can teach me something. He may not be able to teach me everything, but he can teach me something about what it's like to be a professional, what it's like to have that passion, and how you keep that passion going, even when there's some dark times. And that, I think, is one of PSG's, you know, gr- biggest weaknesses is that when you, when they think big, they dream big. But when that dream starts to look like it's out of reach, they kind of give up a little bit. They kind of soften up. They don't fight for it. They need to fight for it. And this is a guy that's going to fight for it. Yeah, yeah. And I also want to add, um, I find it funny that because it's PSG, you know, everybody hates the move. You know, you got your people saying, why would you go to PSG? Why wouldn't you go to Parma or an MLS team? And it's just like... Who wouldn't want to live in Paris? I mean, it's one of the most beautiful cities in the world. He's going to get paid a lot of money. He's actually going to get paid five. Uh, he's actually going to get paid. Sorry to cut you off. He's going to get paid five hundred thousand dollars less than he did at Juventus. I mean, it's, uh, he's still going to make a lot of money. I know, but my point is, he ain't going for the money. Yeah, he could come to ML. He could have came to MLS and, and made a lot of money here. I mean, it's it's it's, it's you know who wouldn't want to get you know get paid millions and, and, and live in Paris. So it's just like, if he still has that itch to try to win a Champions League final, I I, I, I just find it funny that, that it's, because it's PSG, uh, there's always has to be a, a negative drawback. Yeah. Uh, really I know. And I, and I think it's a, and it's one of those also weird things where you'll see, especially in League One, uh, in League on Twitter, where you'll, where you'll see Monaco sign this random 15-year-old from, like, the mountains of France somewhere, and they'll be like, oh, great signing, great bit of business, great deal, oh, yeah. And then PSG sign one of the best goalkeepers of all time, and they're like, is he too old? Or I think, you know, what what about Alphonse? What about poor Alphonse? Like, they cared about him before at any time. So I, I do find that funny, but I let it go. Water off a duck's back. Um... 
PSG will start the preseason games on Tuesday. I believe they will be against some national uh, league sides, some fourth division sides, pretty much for the um, pretty much for the uh, the rookies and the and the uh, and the youth academy players. There's going to be one on Tuesday and there's going to be one on Saturday. Not much to really talk about there. Might be interesting to see what formation he comes out in. Um, I've had this theory. I didn't talk about this in the in the uh, in the pre-show meeting, but I have this theory because PSG have seemingly been linked with about every center back in the world over the last couple of a uh, couple of weeks. Do you do you think that Tuchel is going to go to three at the back? And we'll kind of tie this into our World Cup conversation a little bit. It seems like Belgium is playing with three at the back. Um. Uh, England plays with three at the back. It seems like three at the back, which has kind of been, um, as a formation, has kind of been hit or miss, hot or cold. It seems like there's a possibility, and especially with, uh, talk of Levin Krizawa staying, and talk of Munier staying and playing further up the field as wingbacks, that PSG will go with three at the back. What do you think about that? You know, uh, it's a copycat. You know, I like to think of sports as whatever is the trend, other clubs, squads, whatever, regardless of what the sport is, are going to emulate that because that's what's been successful. Sometimes it's a hit or miss, like you said. But, you know, PSG can't really go buy out. You know, they can't really replace their fullbacks for what, you know, and, you know, with financial fair play. So I think they're, I would go with it. You know, why not experiment with it and see what they can do? You know, maybe up until the winter transfer window and see, you know, we'll, by then we will find out what's any ramifications regarding financial fair play. But I think for the first, you know, for the Champions League group stage and the first half of, the, you know, the League One schedule, I think it's it's a no-brainer to try to, you know, go at three at the back um, and see how it, how it how it translates for, you know, for this squad. Well, let's say specifically, I don't like to get into too many transfer rumors, but... I just thought they were interesting in the timing of them. Jerome Boateng and uh, Leo, Leo Bonucci. Of the two, which one would you rather have? Oh, in theory. I know which I, one I would I, rather have, but I'll let you I, go I would first. Go with, I would go with Bonucci. Yeah, I would go with Bonucci too. That, he has that connection with Buffon. Boateng, I still have... It, it's recently biased, so I'll, I'll admit that, but he was not really... He wasn't that impressive this World Cup, and I would... It would be a huge gamble. I know, you know, Tuchel is German, and he's probably seen him, you know, uh, you know, coaching for Borussia. But I, I would go with just with Benucci, and and I think he's also, you know, another leader that that the club can use as well. So there's more to just um, than just him uh, being playing center back. Yeah, I, I I think they already have a Jerome Boateng. I think his name is Presno Kimpembe. I think mm-hmm. they they place him they're I think Kimpembe, if his ceiling is that high, I think he could be a Boateng-type player. I would like to see them try it with two center backs in the... Essentially, you play the two center backs closer to goal, closer in the box, and you allow that third center back to sort of attack forward and be a little more adventurous and help in the midfield. And I think they could make that work. I think Tuchel's just trying to figure it out. And this is going to be a fascinating preseason because you're going to get to see what Tuchel is thinking about and if the players sort of want to go along with it and who he integrates. A lot of the um, World Cup uh, 
the, the World Cup participants won't be there till probably mid late July. Some of the French players might not be there till the beginning of August. So what you'll see is a slow trickling in of players and a slow integration through the months of July and August, which will have its effect. But I think that PSG will have enough depth to sort of survive it and move forward. Um, before we get into really the the meat of our World Cup conversation, I hate to keep picking at this wound, but we'll do it one more time. Yeah. Um, give us your sort of autopsy of the Mexican uh national team's performance at this World Cup. Just to just to sort of go through yeah. it again, they won their first two games. They beat Germany 1-0. They beat South uh, Korea 2-0. At 2-1, actually. Sorry, 2-1. And then in the last game against Sweden, all they had to do was tie, and they would have won the group and would have been able to play Switzerland in the round of 16. They lose to Sweden 3-0. They go to face Brazil, they hang with them for a half, and then Brazil put them away in the second half. So, with that all being said, what is your assessment, sort of, of how they did, letter grade it, number grade it, whatever you want to do, and then talk about what it sort of means for the next, let's say, two to three years before the next World Cup cycle yeah. really begins? Yeah, um... Uh, letter grade, I go with C minus. Uh, the only reason why it's a C minus because they, you know, Ger- that Germany win was was huge. But I mean, other than that, they had a chance to play Switzerland and they laid an egg against Sweden. I don't know why. I don't know if they took them. You know, I, I have I my gut says they took them lightly, which I don't understand. Sweden, you know. They they took I, I I don't understand why Sweden got this uh, this aurora around them that they're that they're not a really good squad but I have a gut feeling they took them lightly and they paid the price and it it's after that you know it, it just went all downhill against Brazil they, they they threw everything at Brazil the first thirty minutes they didn't come away with the goal um, that's that's we'll talk about this with Brazil, but with Brazil, you know, you gotta punch them early before they, you know, before they take over the game. And Mexico tried to do that, but you know they weren't successful. Um, in the end, I think uh, it's just talent. Mexico has talent, but they don't have uh, enough talent in the, you know, in the depth or depth talent like Brazil. You know, like Brazil can can bench uh, have uh, Roberto Firmino in the bench and then sub him on and they, they're able to score uh, they're able to score well Mexico you know if Chicharito comes off the whole the whole um, it's just it's just a drop off in talent going forward I don't I don't it's 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 for me it's gonna have to be regarding Europe um, a lot of our young players are gonna have to play in Europe and 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 uh, it's just well. Can I can I offer a can I offer a, a, a theory and just sort of first of all I think that the um I think that uh Mexico's lack of finishing quality, which you saw in the in the in the build up to this World Cup, I think that caught up to them because. You have to be able to convert in front of goal. When you get the opportunities on the break, you have to be able to finish them. 
because it is a tournament of sometimes of seconds, sometimes of moments. And early in that game, they had an opportunity in that Brazil game. They had an opportunity to get a lead and possibly put Brazil under pressure. And you saw what happened when Belgium put them under pressure. But I, I just feel like they have to get a little better in front of goal. I think if they can find or develop a player who's over six feet, who has a little bit of build to him, that can that can create in the box because. I kind of see where the modern game is starting to go. And I think Brazil were sort of a victim of this, too. You need that sort of physicality on the ball that Mexico just didn't have. And when you play a team like Brazil and you don't have that physicality and your technical level is not up to their, up to their quality, you're not going to probably win. There's a very good chance you won't. So... I think they're going to have to build through that. I think they're going to have to yeah. figure that out. And that'll come up some... T- of, go ahead. Yeah, you know, it's, it's just a lot of... Uh, it's, it's a lot of stuff in the grassroots. Or, you know, it's at the lower levels, or they're going to have to focus on... You know, Liga MAPs has a lot of money that can pay these young talents to stay at home. Um, and I was talking with this old, on Twitter with Tyler. He, uh, he, uh, he was mentioning... We were mentioning U.S., and Mexican internationals, they're starting, they, they usually go to Spain, you know, for Mexicans, they usually like to go to Spain because obviously the Spanish language, that's something that they're comfortable with. And like Americans, they usually go to to uh, the Premier League because, you know, the English language. And I think this is something that they're going to have to start going. Uh, Irving Lozano went to the Netherlands, you know, that's a, that's a trailblazing route. Uh, not many Mexicans are going to. You know, the Dutch League, I uh, remember way back, Rafa Marquez went to, to France um, to play for Monaco. And I think it's 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 going to be up to the players because sometimes being, you know, in a comfortable environment hinders their, hinders their development. And going to Spain, yes, it's one of the best leagues, if not the best league in Europe, but it's not known for developing talent. Um, so this is why I was talking about it with, with Tyler. Uh, they have to go to. They're gonna have to go to to the Bundesliga to clubs that can you know develop talent. I would say go to France. I know French. You know it's it's a scary language for a lot of Mexicans because they don't have that education. Um, but it, it's you're gonna, they're gonna have to start going to clubs that are known for developing talent and not just you know be confined uh, to go into Spain to play for you know uh, lower level clubs. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's an option. And I think that it, it also depends on who the player is, and it also yeah. depends on, it depends on a lot of things. It also depends on monetarily if, um, these clubs in Europe think that going to Mexico to scour and find talent is, you know, worth their investment. And you look at a place like Germany, I don't know if the Germ, Germany, the Bundesliga is not, necessarily well known for going across the continent to go look at players. It's not exactly what they are known for doing. But again, I, I think time will sort of tell with Mexico. I think it's going to take the right coach. I think it's going to take yeah. patience. And I think it's going to take a system that best represents what these players can do and just sort of building into that identity. You have to get a little bit of that Iceland in you, a little bit of that yeah. rush. Even Russia, you saw, at least had some sort of identity in what yeah. they did. 
Mexico has to build that. And Osorio got close, but I think he abandoned it in that third game. And it really sort of bit them because once you saw them not be able to really play off the counter, they were not effective. They were not efficient in the way they played. Um, let's let's go to the quarterfinals. Enough pain yeah. for now. Yeah. Um, Brazil and Belgium. Now, I said with John on the last show that I would be shocked if Brazil lost. And Brazil lost, and I'm shocked. And you can break this, and I, and I, I sort of uh, was bandying this in my head, which is that you can look at this in two ways. You can look at this as Brazil as a federation has to develop more physical players, have to sort of change the way they approach certain things to match up with these big physical basketball teams that they're playing. Belgium was a basketball team out there. They put out Lukaku, they put out Fellaini, they put out Chadley, they put out um, Witzel. These are big... They put out Meunier, Vertonghen, Company. These are big fucking physical dudes that just beat you up. And you watch that game and you just saw Neymar and and Paulinho and Coutinho and Gabby Jesus running into these brick walls the whole game. And they all they did was they sat three at the back, they put Fellaini right in front, they pinched in some of their wing backs, and they just set up a wall, and they let Lukaku and they let Hazard play deep, play near the midline. And once the ball got dispossessed, they passed it out to De Bruyne, De Bruyne to Hazard to Lukaku, and they were all of a sudden, they were out there. And stylistically, Brazil were just not capable of getting good enough shots against this kind of physical team when the game slowed down. Now, when it was sped up in the beginning and towards the end, they were getting great looks and they just couldn't hit them. There were a couple balls right in front of goal that Paulinho should have just put in and he couldn't. Now, there's the other way to look at it, which is that essentially Brazil lost a game in 12 seconds. Two seconds on the corner, and then 10 seconds on the counter goal. So in a 95-minute game, Brazil shut off for 12 seconds and they lost. And that's sort of how football works in a way. But... Let me ask you, do you sort of subscribe to the first thing I talked about, which is that stylistically Brazil are going to have to adjust? Or was it simply for 12 seconds they had their brains turned off and the game ended with that? No, I, I agree with a lot of the first part you said. I think hmm. uh, what, from what I saw this World Cup, if, if you got physical with Brazil, uh, granted some some of it was should have been uh, carded. I mean, you saw what Switzerland did. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if, if, if they got physical with Brazil, it, it really took them off their game. And, you know, Belgium is a physical physical squad, but they're talented as well. So they they, they were able to, ex, you know, expose Brazil. Um, did, I'm not going to sit there and lie that they did have, you know, mental lapses um, in those uh, two goals. But other after that, I think the second half, it was just all Brazil. They were, you know, Belgium held on for dear life in that second half. Brazil was just coming at them, and and it's 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 something they're going to have to, you know, reflect on. They're going to have to get, you know, they're going to have to have some kind of physicality, 
you know, in their squads going forward because they just cannot be, if they're going to be out, out physical, you know, they're, they're, if the physical side of the game is is going to throw them off their game. It's, it's, it's just something that's, you know, it's, it's something that's just going to have to be fixed. Uh, I, I thought that, and I'll say this, and you can and you can uh, mark the date, and you can mark the time. I thought Neymar had a bad game, yeah. and I think that sometimes with him, he will get into a very one. He, he can be very one track minded, in that he will want to run. In, and this is just how he is as a person. He's very um, he's very determined. He's very committed, and he can be very stubborn. And I thought that in that game, he said, I'm going to run at this back line. I'm going to run at this back line. I'm going to beat the guy off the dribble. I'm going to get in the box. I'm going to draw fouls. I'm going to create chances. And I don't have to. And I'm just going to do that for 95 minutes. And eventually it's going to work. And it never really did. And there was never a point where he goes and says, I'm going to make an adjustment here. Rather than me being in attack mode, let me go back into the midfield, let me take the ball, let me look for those deep passes over the top, let me try to get it to the middle, run to the middle, pass off to the wings, cut off, move without the ball, try to find space in behind. I, I just don't think he ever, and I think it would have been effective because it would allow him to use his speed without being... Um, without being guarded in the same way. I think that's the thing that if he's going to adjust his game, I think he's going to have to learn to move without the ball. And I think he's going to have to learn to make cuts without the ball. I think he has to be a little more deft at that part of it. And he never made that adjustment. And Coutinho really never made that adjustment either. He had the nice assist, but it really wasn't a great game for him. Now, before we go on, I just want to make that point that that's how you criticize somebody. Like, you talk about the stuff that they do on the field. And all that other stuff, to me, it didn't really matter. Neymar and Brazil did not lose in this World Cup because Neymar embellished fouls. Neymar and Brazil lost because Neymar and Brazil were not good enough in that game. And that's okay to say. Because that's... that's factual. You can watch the game and you can look at the statistics and you can see that. So I just want to make that point just to explain to people how it's supposed to be done and how actual analysis is... Act That's how actual analysis works. Yeah. So, yeah, not no, to toot my own horn, but whatever. Um, yeah, no, no, no. Before we move on, I, I really don't want to touch on that subject. Just a quick bit, because, you know, it's it, it's getting kind of ridiculous. It's getting on that LeBron, you know, it's on that LeBron James level ridiculousness, because any, any little mistake he does, whether it be embellishing, it just turns into a meme or, or, or a video for, for people to laugh at. And look, I get it, people want want the likes and the retweets and all that stuff. But and, and people are making it on statistics, you know, we saw that uh, personally on Twitter, but it's 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 you know it's getting it's it's becoming absurd. Just I just wanted to add that. Yeah. Again. And to me that kind of stuff is sort of childish nonsense and that, that stuff doesn't bother me as much. The thing that bothers me is that when he has a bad, when, when players have bad games, 
and all of a sudden people that don't know them, never met them, never had a conversation with them, never met any of their relatives, will all of a sudden start having conversations about his character. Yeah. That's what pisses me off. Because you can criticize the guy for what he does on the field, but when it starts becoming a he's not a good person, he has a bad character, or as Skip Bayless would always say, he doesn't have the clutch gene, when it starts getting into that stuff, that's where I think it stops being objective and it starts being uh, hater, you know, hater nonsense disguised yeah. as, as as punditry. And yeah. just, it gets to the point of trolling, and I think that we should be better than that as a, as yeah. a society. Um, and, and we're not talking about, before we on, and we're not talking about just people in general, we're talking about actual journalists doing this. So yeah. It's, just, it's not people that are, to have their own blogs that are doing this, it's, it's actual people that are, you know, put journalists, yeah. you know, in their bio, so. Exactly, and, that, and that's, and that's where the problem lies. Um, France and Uruguay, it was exactly the game you'd expect. Um, France got the goal they needed with the Varane header, and they never looked back. Uruguay were not the same without Cavani. Um, quick word on Uruguay before we go on to the next couple games. How do you think they, they sort of uh, represented themselves in the tournament? I think they, they represented themselves well. I mean, they made it to the quarterfinal with the with an old Elder States group. I mean, it's it's... I mean, we saw Cavani put on a show, um, you know, against Portugal, and finally shed that label that he has that he's, you know, not a, not one of the top strikers in the world. Um, so it it sucks that you know they, their golden age, or, you know, their golden generation wasn't able to win a World Cup. But you know, I, I'd say that that they don't they shouldn't have uh, they shouldn't hang their heads too low on this. Yeah. Not everyone gets to win the World Cup. Yeah. That's sort of the great thing about it, is that it's it's once every four years and only one team can win it. So it's like, not everyone gets to win the World Cup. It, and, that, and that's, you know, and that's sort of the, the great thing about it. And this Uruguay team has been good for years. And they deserve the credit for that. I will just say that I think if Cavani plays, that game is slightly different. I don't know how much different. But I thought France were spectacular in what they needed to do, and I thought they were incredibly efficient in the way they handled that. And we'll talk about France more later, but let's go to... Um, I'm going to avoid the, the well, this one team like the plague. Let's go with Croatia and Russia. How's Croatia doing in Europe? How is Russia? How do, how do you feel about this Russian run? It was... I mean, I, I remember hearing uh, an interview with uh, by Kobe Jones, uh, you know, former American soccer soccer player, it, it's always, he was stating how it's always nice to have the host nation go on a run, you know, maybe they're not going to win it all, but, you know, for the sake of everyone that's there, it's always nice when the host nation goes on a run, because you, it's a different vibe there, as you were saying, because, and, and that Russian team, I mean, they, 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 they went on a run, I mean, they want to, they were awful, they were pretty awful in the, you know, the qualifiers. So nothing, nothing was really expected of them. Uh, maybe they win their group, they, and and you know they were able to pull off the show. One of the shockers, you know, no, but not 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 a lot of countries can say they beat Spain in a World Cup. Yeah. So uh, that's one of their, you know, it's one of their key moments in their in their history. I mean, that I think the, that match against Croatia is one of the best out of the. 
I, I thought you know, Russia, yeah. I thought Russia came out of their shell. I thought Russia was trying to attack. I think Croatia was able to get them out of their comfort zone a little bit. And you got a game where you got that emotion and Croatia limping across the finish line like that. I think they'll be ready in time for for uh, for Wednesday. They better be ready in time for Wednesday. Um, and I, I think Croatia, and we'll talk about them a little bit more, but I think this Croatia team is really, really good. And I think they've run into two low-block teams in Denmark and Russia that have stymied them, you know, cut off their yeah. passing lanes. I think that if Croatia is able to express itself more, I think they'll they'll show how good they really are. Um, a word on Sweden. Uh, this is the post-Lotan era. I think they, they did well. Um, they were able to knock off a lot of big countries on their on their runs to the quarterfinals. You know, they started off with Italy. They beat Mexico. They didn't get they didn't beat Germany, but you know they, they finished with more points out of you know than Germany. They, uh, they they were able to represent themselves well, and and I think this is a stepping stone now that that Zlatan isn't there anymore. That they can you know play as a unit rather than play you know play to you know don't get me wrong, I love Zlatan, but that's a that's a huge ego on a on a national squad, and and you know the offense would run through him, but now it's 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 more of a unit. I think. You know, if the if the playing field goes to forty eight, as we're expecting, um, I think they should have another. You know, their core, some of their core players like the Forsberg, you know, should be able to represent the country well in twenty twenty two. Yeah, and I think they had a great run too. I think this was a a team that had a plan. I think they, if they were a little bit more clinical in front of goal, if they had that. Let's say they had Zlatan five years ago and a Zlatan that was a total team player. Yeah. Same guy, same talent, but just a kind of a different mindset and attitude. And you replace Marcus Berg or Oyla Toivonen yeah. with Zlatan. That team has a shot to get to a final. Yeah. Like they had that ability defensively. It's just you have to be able to score goals. And I would say it's only a moderate embarrassment to lose to the team that they lost to in the quarterfinal. So they can they can they can hold their heads up high, I think. Uh, let's move on to our semifinals. Now, here's how we're going to do this to start. We're going to look at the four teams, and I'm going to we're going to play the expectations game. So, did the team meet expectations? Do you, or as in, did you expect them to be where they are, or did they exceed your expectations? Let's start with France. Did they exceed your expectations, or did they sort of meet where you think they'd be? They met where I expected them to be in the semifinals. I thought it was going to be Brazil. You know, I remember you guys doing uh, John making these predictions, but yeah, I expected France to be there. So, so they, I, so they met my expectations entering the World Cup. Um, on France, quickly. Uh, actually, you know, we'll, we'll save that. We'll do the expectation game, and then we'll go back to, to kind of previewing the game. Sure. Um, Belgium. They exceeded. I I thought their defense, and I thought they would get out of the group stage. I thought you know it would be the knockout or the quarterfinals. I thought that that that's where their their fullback, you know, their defensive situation. I mean, they have a, an an old Vincent company. I, I I like Thomas Meunier, but I don't like him as a starter for the international squad. I thought at some point, their you know Brazil or whoever would expose their their defense. But, you know, they, they were able to knock off Brazil and hold on. 
and I think for me they exceeded my expectations. Croatia. They exceeded my expectations. They, I thought, I thought they would finish second in their group, um, but they were able to, you know, win their group, and and they're just going on this run. I think this is one of the, you know, their their quote unquote their golden generation is just, you know, these guys compiled compiled that are in their late twenties, early thirties. So I think they're just having a magical run. So I say, you know, they exceeded my expectations. <sighs> England. Uh, as as much I I'd say exceeded. I you know usually England breaks hearts. That's what they're known for. They're known for disappointment. Well, they're breaking, breaking mine. The hearts. <laughs> they exceeded expectations. I mean now it's just now it's just becoming. Uh, I, I don't want to bring it up because you have it muted on Twitter. But you know the slogan it's coming home. And uh, it, they're just now becoming insufferable, but you know they they, they exceeded my expectations. Huh. All right. Um, so let's let's preview the semifinal. We'll start with the uh, with the JV uh, with the JV semifinal between Croatia and England. Now, Croatia is in its first semifinal since 1998. England is in its first semifinal since 1990, which was the year before I was born. Um, but instead of doing predictions, because every prediction I've done has gone wrong. This World Cup is not about making predictions, so screw that. What? Okay, let me. How do I phrase this? Um, if Croatia wins, what will have happened to allow Croatia to win? I think their midfield, it has, their offense has to go through their midfield. I mean, Modric and Rakitic, they're, you know, they pull the strings for their respective clubs. I, I, I expect them to pull the strings for their attack. Um, you know, it, they and all their victories, one or the other, has always played a big part in it. So I expect one or both, you know, to, to make a statement game. And that's one of the ways, I, if Croatia wins, it's because one of or both Modric or Rakitic uh, showed up to uh, play a major part in, in, in the victory. In theory, and this is what I hold, this is what I cling to for comfort at night. In theory, Croatia's midfield should absolutely wipe the floor with England's midfield. It shouldn't even be a contest. There is no contest. This was, it was the same way I, I thought when it was Real Madrid versus Liverpool. The midfield matchup here is just not even. Like, there's no, there's even the same fucking guys. You still have Modric on one side and you have Jordan Henderson on the other. They're not even. They're not the same. Perisic, um, Rakitic, Modric, the other guy on the other wing that, whose name is escaping me at the moment. Mandzukic? Man, no. Um, uh, oh. or Saric or something. I'll, I'll look it up yeah, as we go yeah. along. But there's... but. They should, that midfield with Ivan Perisic and Mandzukic up top, there's way too much talent in that, in that area for England to really get a good hold of the ball if all things are considered equal. So yes, if Croatia's midfield shows up and plays well, they should win this game. The talent, um, the talent disparity there to me, is is really it's a really big disparity. I, I just don't think that Deli Ali and Ashley Young and 
I, I don't think that midfield is good enough, is just my opinion. And the guy I was talking about was Antti Rabich. He sort of plays winger forward for them. And um, if England were to somehow magically pull this game off and go to the final and extend our misery, what will they have had to have done to ensure that would happen? The gold, bur- the gold burglar has to has to strike more than once. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, Harry Kane is is going to have to be able to to, to have a, have himself a game, and I think that's that's one of the ways they'll do it. Um, maybe a Deli Ali, but um, it's it's pretty much going to have to be Harry Kane, the gold burglar, as he likes to call him now. Um, you know, scoring yeah. at least you know um, at least two goals. And to my discomfort, there are ways that England can do this. And the one way they're going to obviously be able to do it is with set pieces. I think they have the advantage maybe over any team in this World Cup except for Belgium in being able to score off set pieces. They just have a bunch of big burly guys that just get their heads in there and nobody's ever going to call fouls on them so they can score at any time on those free kicks. Um, Also, to, to, uh, to get serious for a minute, they do have a solid back three. Maguire, Stones, and Walker have been very good in yeah. this tournament. And they're going to have to shut down the middle, shut down that final third, not allow Croatia to get easy looks. They're going to have to counter off of, uh, they're going to have to counter off of that. It's going to have to be Ali and Sterling making good runs and getting in behind. And then Harry Kane cleaning it up. And it's a formula that you can ride to a World Cup. I mean, God, I hope not. But it's, there's an opportunity there. And I, 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 if I had to make a prediction, I would say Croatia. But, the, you know, my, the predictions mean nothing, so it doesn't really matter. Um, anything else you want to say about this game before we go to the main event, France versus Belgium? Uh, like, I think you, I think you touched on it on Twitter, I think it was yesterday, they're, they're just writing, they're, they're, they're taking advantage of the, of the, of the side that they're playing on, you know, the, the, when it comes to this uh, tournament, you know, like you said, they're a Liverpool, they're, 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 they got lucky draws, and they're, you know, making the most out of it, I mean, Croatia is probably the biggest challenge they faced, I mean, Belgium, both of those clubs were playing to lose, so I, it, I, it's interesting to see you know, this is their first really big challenge. It's interesting to see how how they how they handle it. Yeah, and I will say this: Gareth Southgate is a very good coach, and I think if England are smart, they would lock him up for as long of a contract as they could humanly give him. Because I just think that guy has his pulse on that generation of players. They like playing for him. He's a he's he's smart. He's intelligent. He sets them up well. Uh, I, I think he's, they, they got lucky when they got Southgate. He's, he's a tremendous coach. Um, France and Belgium, my Le Bleu versus the, um, the boys on the border, Belgium. Um, if Belgium are to win this game and go to their first ever World Cup final, what will have to happen? Well, they're going to have to play their physical game as they did, but I mean, France, you know, they're, they're not, they have guys with size. I mean, Veron, on TD, you know, they, they got guys that can push back, so it's just not going to be a physical game, but I, I, at some point, I'm expecting one of Hazard or, or De Bruyne or Lukaku to have that signature, that signature World Cup game, you know, that, that, that one that, 
you know, that Mbappe had against Argentina, that one where it's just sta- it stands out that, yeah, they were the reason why they won. Um, but other than that, that's 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 what I what's um, that's what uh, it's gonna take for Belgium to win. I think in a weird way, Belgium are the perfectly they're perfectly designed to play this sort of modern football. They're like Leicester on steroids. That's that kind of style where it's big physical guys who can who can stonewall you, and then the counters are just so lethal, and it's Leicester with all-world players. And that, to me, is a style that could work in the future if you have those types of... if you have that type of physical talent. Marwan Fellaini's doing his job, and he and he'll start again, and he'll be a nuisance. Um, Romelu Lukaku, to me, is their most valuable player, and for this reason. He's so big, and he's... <laughs> he's so big, and he's so physical that he, you have to play him with two guys. Especially if he's sitting there in the midfield on counters. You can't just leave him one-on-one. It'll be really hard, I think, for Umtiti or Varane. I would have Varane on him. Because I think Umtiti fouls too much. And there's a good chance that if Belgium get into a counter game where Lukaku's really running fast, that Umtiti gets a yellow or two yellows and gets thrown out of the game. I'd have Varane play him, although Varane's not necessarily the best out of the box either. So I do think there's going to be an issue guarding Lukaku. If they can get Lukaku running and on the ball and playing strong, playing off of De Bruyne and, and Hazard, I think France can have some real problems. If France are to win this and advance to their uh, first World Cup final since 2006, what will have to happen? Oh, let's see. I, I expect a big game out of Kylian Mbappe. I think he's he's slowly becoming the, the engine of the team, like while well, the offensive attack. Yeah. So I expect him to have. I expect him to. You know, I, I want him to to. Uh, I want the announcers to call his name out every so often. You know, creating plays for for France. Um, Griezmann, I, I I'm not, I've been. You know, seeing all of France's games, you'll be a better uh, testament to this, Mark. But I, I, I think he's he's played okay. Um, but I, I'd like to have, you know, I'd like to see him, uh, you know, be Griezmann of the Euros twenty, you know, Euro twenty sixteen. Um, so I think they're they're, they're going to have to if if uh, Belgium, you know, scores quickly, they're going to have to um, answer back. So I'm expect I, I expect. Uh, uh, a lot out of France's uh, attack. Yeah, and Griezmann's going to have to step up. He's going to have to have his best game of the tournament because it can't just be Mbappe and Giroud playing long, you know, and Giroud playing knockdown. you got to have Griezmann playing well. You have to have all three of those guys sort of at the peak because you're going to need to be able to pass through that uh, through that wall and through the, that, that size. I think Mbappe is actually a better kind of player to deal with it than Neymar was, because Mbappe at least is a bigger, stronger dude. Like, he can take contact, and he can keep kind of going through it. Giroud's the same way. He can take contact pretty well. Um, for me, it's Pogba and Conte, who have been tremendous in this tournament. And they each are doing their own thing, and they're doing it in a way that complements each other. I think for the first time... 
probably since they've played with each other in the uh, in on the national team. I think those two are finally sort of finding their rhythm and what each of them should be doing. Conte to me is the golden uh, is the golden ball winner. Uh-huh. I don't think you'll get it, but I think he deserves it. I think he's just been the best, most consistent player in all five games he's played. And for France to win, they're going to need to control the midfield. They're going to need to keep a lot of the possession. They're going to have to be able to cut out Belgium's counterattempts. And they're going to have to get a couple of goals in here to, you know, because it's going to be like a 3-2 or a 2-1 game, I think. Uh-huh. Again, I'm not going to give a prediction. I don't want to jinx anything. You're free to if you'd like, but no, uh, no pressure to make <laughs> predictions. Ah, uh, yeah, no, I'll, I'll make a prediction. I, I, my, my, my final is going to be France, and I hate to. Uh, nope, do it. Add to your do misery. it. Do it. <laughs> it's gonna. I, I, I have a gut feeling, but it's going to be France England in the final. And you know what? That's a great final. All things considered, that is a fun final to, to preview and talk about. Like th- that that would be that would be really cool to watch as long as France won. As long as France won, that would be fine. I'd be okay with that. And I could see France win the World Cup because I didn't really get to see it in '98. I'd like to see it in I'd like to see it 20 years later. But um, we'll see about that. Um, Eddie, anything you want to add about this World Cup? Any stray notes that you want to throw in there um, as we as we ride off here? Um, no, it's, it's, I think we pretty much covered everything we needed to cover. Uh, yeah, in a pretty efficient way, too. Um, Eddie, um, please uh, plug your Twitter and talk about anything you might be working on as we head into uh, the early stages of PSG preseason. Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter. It's Eddie1991Razo. Um, currently, I'm brainstorming ideas, but I'm looking, you know, Thiago Silva had you know, a really good World Cup, so might do. Uh, I'm thinking of, of doing something analytical on him because um, you know he's for a guy that's 33, 34. He's uh, not showing um, his age, so I'm, I'm pretty sure he doesn't. I'm hoping he doesn't get sold, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm more than likely going to start working on a piece this upcoming week on him. All right. Um, so for. Eduardo Razo, this has been PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon saying au revoir for now.